0: Coming up next, the bookening reads... King Lear! <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Spooky! Welcome to the Booking. This is Nathan Omerson, your humble and obedient host. I'm joined by the pastor who's a master of reading. It's Jacob Menzel over there. He's got My Soul Among Lions shirt. Their new albums available. How you doing, Jake? Doing well. How are you? I'm glad to hear it. You're the master of reading, Jake. Yeah. You got the Martin Luther Bobblehead, the Seltzer Water, a Yeah, iPhone I meant to swap out 11. the
1: Martin Luther Bobblehead is from Sound of Sanity earlier. I meant to swap it out for some uh Harry Potter Legos. Some Harry Potter Legos. But he's in it. Yeah. But they didn't You didn't Harry they Potter didn't Legos time. Kindly supplied by Jane Katie or are cold enough Cheese. Who'd you get
0: Shout out Yeah who you Ron, get
1: I got Ron Weasley You got Ron Weasley
0: With scabbers Wow That's yeah. better than I, I got, got the best What's his face Newt Scamander Yeah I got Newt Commander. I got Newt
2: Scamander's best friend The baker the Oh he's muggle. cool I like
0: him Hey Brandon Hey Nathan You're the pastor who's a master of reading Nope Nope You're the humble and obedient host Nope <sighs> You're the Scholar who's a baller of reading Yes They got it How are you doing this week? I'm doing well, Nathan. Last week our live show came out. People got to hear that. Yeah, they did. Hey, we're talking about (laughs) King Lear or King Fear. It's technically October, but we haven't gotten to the Halloween parts yet. If we had, then I would say that this was King Fear part boo. Of the spookening. Of the spookening. But we're not there yet. Did we do contextual stuff? We did.
2: We had an episode before. We did
0: contextual stuff
1: on Shakespeare. We didn't no, no, really no. talk about contextual stuff about Lear.
2: Yeah, we actually didn't, Brandon. Oh, did we not? Man. <laughs> so we could get a whole, uh, another episode in here. Oh, <laughs> well. Yeah, tell us about King Lear if you, I don't well, let's know. Let's tell you about King Lear. So first thing we need to know about King Lear is that King Lear comes from folktale. It's like – it's an old Irish Celtic mythology about a king and his daughters that was slow uh, – that was first documented by one Geoffrey of Monmouth in his histories of Britain in the 1100s, mm-hmm. 12th century, whichever you prefer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my <laughs> like opinion, they're the same thing. Yeah. They might be the same thing. So, and in that early history – fun fa-
0: I just want to tell the listeners, fun fact – we were out in the parking lot talking. Brandon said, you know, I think it, the story was first documented in the 1100s. And then he looks it up. By and on his, this Jeffrey guy. Jeffrey Monmouth.
1: What did you say? Jeffrey Monmouth. By Jeffrey, Jeffrey of Monmouth. Yeah, yeah. he looked it up and he was like, ha, spot on. Yeah, he's like, <laughs>
0: Brandon, you beautiful son of a gun. You've done it again. <laughs> did it again. I'm pretty, pretty sure that was the exact quote. <laughs> That's exactly
2: what I did. Well, it was later then retold in another Histories of Britain by Hollandshed, who is famously... The authority Shakespeare would largely draw from, from a lot of his histories. Mm-hmm. And so the main elements of the lyric story would be in these early narratives. He would have a king who his daughters, he would divest of his property. His daughters would then go off with their husbands and then they would come back. There would be civil war. They would try to take his estate. He would fall. And so Civil War was part of it, his daughters, and the separating of his estate was part of it. He would also have... did would always have the fairy tale kind of two bad daughters, one good. Yes, there would also be Cord- Cordelia? Cordelia, but her name was something else. It was a little bit different in the early uh, versions. Um, it was actually it became Cordelia. It was like Cordella or something like that, but mm-hmm. it became Cordelia in Edmund Spencer's retelling in *The Fairy Queen*. Mm. He actually briefly mentions Lear a couple of times in *The Fairy Queen*. And the so scary fiend. The, yeah. The scary this fiend. October. Woo. People so are gonna have are the... <laughs> a lot more of that kind of stuff in our October
0: in our Frankenstein episodes. Yes, you gotta look forward to that. People. Just a little
2: taste. Yes, a little taste this this, uh, this week. Yeah, you know, just, just a little. Be just A little taste. Yep. Where was I? Edmund Spencer *Fairy Queen*. Spencer. Um, Scary Fiend. Scary Fiend. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> King Fear. <laughs> and his daughter's Goneril. Mm-hmm. Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Scary movie. <laughs> yeah. And then his other daughter. Gordelia. Gordelia and then... Uh, Regan. Or Regan. Yeah, but how do... Oh. Vegan. Who Vegan. Those uh, vegans
0: are... <laughs> <the one laughs> Vegan don't like to eat meat. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> the worst. Yep. Uh, so they, would be in the, they were in the early stories... One of the significant differences would be that Cordelia Cordella, whatever her name was in the early uh, versions, commits suicide. Hmm. She stabs herself in the earliest stories. In Spencer's version, she adds a rope, so she hangs herself, which is what Shakespeare would borrow from. And then um, there was also, in 1605, there was a play written called King Lear, L-E-I-R, that was not nearly, I mean, we don't really remember it at all. We know that Shakespeare drew some things from this play as well. But we have all these sources that he was drawing from for as far as the themes of madness and kingship and love and filial duty, all these things that we see throughout Lear. There was a really important volume of essays translated from the French. I forget the translator, but it was from Montaigne. And they think that Shakespeare probably read this volume of essays as well because some of the thematic things that Montaigne talks about, like he there's a, there's a parent, apparently a section where he says, you know, what is your body? It's just basically this thing that's walking around to eventually become a home for ants, which pretty much echoes exactly what Lear ends up saying later mm-hmm. on. So is that what we want to know? Is that it? No, 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 that's not it. Right. Oh, deep. I have more, yeah. This is your time. So we think that... We think. Scholars think that in the early sixteen hundreds we there are what do they call them? Playbills mm-hmm. that actually have the play listed as early as like 1600. 51606. We don't get the first quarto, and we'll get to that in just a minute because that's a lot of fun mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> until 16 That's 16th... ah, yes, the
1: quartos in folios. yeah,
2: yeah, yep. until 1607, 1608.
0: D- d- way up to the live show a couple weeks ago, me and Jake are singing uh,
1: bye-bye-bye and We never actually sang bye-bye-bye.
0: Nah, yeah, but what's the one that's a lot like that? we sang I want it that way. I want it that way. Yeah, it was one yeah. and then uh-huh. Brandon's in the back like "Quarto is having" He was the, We were literally
1: like Nathan's like, "I know" let's put on 90s songs from our childhood that we hate and sing them out loud. Mm -hmm. And then we did and it was fun and it was a blast. And me and Nathan are in the front seat singing these dumb songs that we hate but also kind of like Brandon's in the back literally like he has his head buried reading about folios and quartos and Shakespeare
2: and saying this is really interesting guys and he's trying to he's
1: trying to talk to us about it and we're like we don't care say guys this is really cool I felt like Hermione (laughs) (laughs) can't you see we're just sort of enjoying this car ride yeah yeah it was a
2: fun car ride but uh, come on guys (laughs) Should be studying for our owls. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh Brandon
1: aced all of his owls. True story.
2: (laughs) Yep. That's right. I'm in the Ministry of Magic now. Yeah. And I was just chosen to be great
0: and am for some reason. (laughs) Wait, am I just your, like, best friend sidekick? No, you can be... Sure How gonna come do up I get myself out of this one? <laughs> who could I say? Bill. You can be
2: Bill Weasley's pretty awesome.
0: No, there's got to be Severus someone's... Snape. You can be Jude Law's Dumbledore. How about that? That's pretty. I cool. like that. Yeah, Jude Law's there pretty go. cool. You Dumbledore. Yeah,
2: cordos yeah. Folio. Cordero. Let's actually take a pause. All right, Real, a quick sidestep. We talked about the Globe Theatre, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I don't think we've ever really talked about the theater that was happening around the time. Just in so, general, you yeah. Mean? Some of the most the, some of the other playwrights that were writing at the same time as Shakespeare around, like in the late 1580s, the London theater scene was actually becoming viable for the first time, and it was because of two plays in particular: Thomas Kidd's *The Spanish Tragedy* and Chris Marlowe's. Um, I never can remember how to say it, *Tamburlaine*. *Tamburlaine*. Maybe *Tamburlaine*. Yeah. Yeah, since mm-hmm. based on a Eastern. Asia, East Asia timeline, and the Spanish tragedy East Asian, is just I like betrayal and blood and yeah. But it's very theatrical, very over the top mm-hmm. tragedy stuff like that. But this is these were the plays that allowed for they were big hits basically. So people were just flocking to the theaters to see these things, going across the Thames, going to the theaters to and paying lots of money to see these plays.
1: Theater. So would these have been? shown not in the Globe but That's right
2: these would have been competing theaters to the Globe. Competing theaters that's something yeah. you don't always I, hear about. Yeah, yeah, I
1: didn't quite I'm not sure I quite understood that they were competing. So if theaters.
0: you wanted an evening's entertainment you didn't have to go see a Shakespeare play you could go see No, some, yeah, you could some, see
2: and but the but Shakespeare's men would play these plays as well. Okay, at the Globe or yeah. at other... At the Globe. I mean, because the Globe didn't come around until like, what, the 1590s or something like that. Let me double-check my facts there.
1: double-checking his facts. Well, what's, while you're double-checking your facts, I just want to tell you that my basic assumption has been that the Globe was basically the only show in town.
2: Yep. No, it was in, the biggest show in town. But the biggest the, show The, the Globe didn't actually come into existence until 1599. So this would have been the decade before the Globe. So these were the things that happened to allow the Globe to exist. Now, I don't think that... In of the other theater houses were as big a deal as the Globe. Okay. But there they would have existed. They would have also I mean, had the public places where this, they could have played out in the open. And they would have played these things also for kings and queens right. and their courts right. and things yeah. like that. That, of course. Um, but
1: so would these other theaters or these other acting troops or whatever, would they have had... You said they're not as big as the Globe, but they have had as diverse an audience as the Globe, or were they more like tailored to a specific demographic?
2: Some of them would have been tailored to a- More courtly. A more courtly, but the things that places like, sorry, I'm actually seeing if I can find a name of some of the- So yeah, establishment of playhouses. You had the first, the theater, it was actually just called the theater, it was opened in 1576. Mm. Okay. And so you had these other places, and they would have been very similar to the Globe. Not Maybe not as big a capacity. The Globe was big. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But they would have definitely been similar in the mix of people who would have been there. They have had their own. Uh, playwrights associated with them like yeah chris wrote. marlowe would have been associated particularly with a certain play i mean i don't know which theater he was associated but with. he had one that yeah so he was a rival his. to shakespeare um another famous guy would have been was it green robert green robert who wrote green is a guy of wit or whatever mm-hmm. where we first get a reference to shakespeare he made fun of shakespeare as being the crow the... if brandon Chastain from last
0: episode is to be believed then yes yes that's
2: true i am to be believed good so there we go Oh, Chris Marlowe and Thomas Kidd with the Spanish Tragedy. They write these plays, and what they share in common is they're beginning to elevate language and have tragedy and these uh big spectacles that are on the stage. And this is becoming what people expect. It becomes really popular. to hit. It's huge. And these things end up influencing Shakespeare with his early histories, with the early tragedies that he writes. So a lot of the influence we see in early productions of Lear would have been directly drawn from what people would have expected from... Um, so... Yeah.
1: Would Shakespeare then have just been like, oh, tragedy's cool. You think tragedy's cool.
2: Let me one-up you. Exactly, yeah. And in fact, there is an example in one of his, I think it's Henry Fourth, where one of his characters quotes Tamburlaine, but it's like a lesser character, so it's obvious that he's making fun of, of R- Chris Marlowe. Throws some yeah. shade. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So he's saying, because Chris Marlowe, what he was known as was a guy who was over the top. So his language is big and showy and flashy. And Shakespeare said, let me show you how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of also what happened with Lear because there was another 1605 play that had been written that Shakespeare was kind of taking and saying, well, let me show you actually what this play should be. So
1: And so the ending of Lear mm-hmm. that I remember uh, seeing or reading about being – very scandalous and it being banned for Mm -hmm. nobody really ever wanting to do it having as much to do with
2: uh you
1: know how dark and
2: and it was scandalous they um the play was heavily censored probably for political reasons and we'll get to that in just a minute but also for nobody wanted the play to end as darkly as it does Mm -hmm. because it's a very dark ending i remember Everybody wondered, why does Cordelia have to die?
1: Yeah. I remember, and maybe you've said this before, but it strikes me as new now. But
2: I remember remember reading or seeing
1: somewhere that Lear went out of production, uh, was never put on stage for a long time, Mm -hmm. was then rewritten. Shakespeare's Lear, in scare quotes, that everybody knew was not Shakespeare's Lear, but had a totally rewritten happy ending, or something like that. Is that there was a happy ending
2: that most people would use for a while? Okay. So Alexander. So the way it, the way it happened was throughout most of the sixteen hundreds. When people would do Lear, they would change the ending, and Cordelia would not die. Yeah. In 1623, so we can- this, And then Lear would also not die. And Lear also would uh, either not die, or he'd at least die happy. because right. Cordelia, Cause, was, cause Cordelia right. takes yeah. over. The important right. fact is yeah. that Cordelia lives. Cordelia, that's, that was the shocker, because that's very, it seems nihilistic. It seems very, so, and actually, by the time you get to the 1940s, with uh, Samuel Beckett, those guys would take it with the theater of the absurd, and they would see in it nihilism. Which you can definitely see why they so thought it was very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. This ending with Cordelia just dying for no reason.
0: Yeah, the I mean, the stage is so littered with corpses that it just doesn't really matter. Oh, well, great, the bad guys died, so did everybody else. I mean, it's and then just it kind seems,
1: of- yeah, I mean, it- everybody but Edgar and. It seems uh, cruel, is what people thought. It was Kent. a very
0: cruel thing. And Kent's like, I'm going to die in a second off stage." So, yeah, yeah it's just Let like a drag. drag.
1: It's all on you, Edgar.
0: Yeah, But Edgar doesn't have feel to me like he has here. the kind of, like, you know, Hamlet, what's his face? Mr. Dues ex Machina shows up and it's like, yay, there's a new king. A lot of times there will be that guy. Mm-hmm. Edgar doesn't feel like a particularly potent. It, it just no, does yeah. have a more gloomy, nihilistic feeling than even some of the nastier There's a collapse ones. to everything at yeah. the end.
1: Well, it's sort of like Edgar. He stands in this weird place of, in some ways, like you know, Edmund is the villain. In some ways, it also feels like Edmund's kind of like. This is going to sound stupid. It's almost like he's like a hero before his
0: time. Like Edmund, as far as I'm concerned, we'll get to this, I suppose. But Edmund, to me, is the only relatable, likable character in the whole darn. He's the
1: most. He's the most down to earth character.
0: He's got a relatable point of view. Nobody likes him because he's a bastard. I'm sorry, I'm going to say bastard because the play says bastard all over the place. Um, to me, he's far and away the most interesting, successful, I want to say likable character in but the I play. That's
2: purposeful. I don't think that's an accident.
0: Yeah, so. I don't think it is either.
1: I often feel like the greatest villains in Shakespeare are often the most sympathetic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like he almost has a principle of I'm never going to give you a straight villain.
0: Yeah, unless it's somebody like the, oh, what's his name? Who's the guy that takes the eyes out? There's there's thugs. Yeah, They're, there
1: are thugs, but but not. But the thugs are just thugs. You mean yeah. Cornwall? Yeah, Cornwall. Cornwall.
0: He's pretty thuggish. Well, he's thuggish in that scene, but then in other scenes, he's kind of just lame and.
2: Yeah, there's there are layers to him. Yes, there are. I agree. But, You're yeah.
0: right. So I take it back. Good vile jelly. Vile jelly. Jelly. <laughs> did you just call me a vile jelly? I did. I'm a delicious jelly. You are a delicious jelly. <laughs> I'm like a... Uh, you'd be like a blackberry I'd be apple butter is what I would be, mister. Yeah. yeah, I could see that.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I feel like That'd I've be been out. insulted somehow and I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> what have we decided Is apple <laughs> butter not something that we as a public
2: accept as being Apple awesome? butter is great.
0: Apple butter is fine. Yeah. Apple butter is yeah. great. Pretty I love apple too.
2: butter. I want some apple butter right now. I wish we were eating a hot biscuit with some apple butter. <laughs> That'd be nice. Apple butter jeans. Let's just get out of here and go to... Cracker Barrel. Yep. We've got a podcast to do. Brandon. Podcast. Pre- Pre- oh, Pre- the, that's right. So Thomas Kidd. Yeah, 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 Charlie Marsh. Mm-hmm. No, what's his name? Chris Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Charlie <laughs> Marsh. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <think>. But there's <laughs> another his, There's an, another, um, it's element like, to. It's on
1: the level of Nathan calling Chinua Chebe
0: Chumbawamba. Yeah, Chumbawamba.
2: <laughs> that was perfectly <laughs> that, a fine thing viable. to do
0: and <laughs> a good thing to leave in the podcast. So this and, is, uh, the
2: theatrical life is all growing. There's. It's becoming a viable means of making money for your family. As we know, Shakespeare becomes really wealthy. Before that, though, there was a history of plays that would be performed in the public square, and often these would be religious in tone. So we talked like in the first season about the masks and the mystery plays. Yeah, we did. These come back again, and they have relevance here because to some extent, Lear is a mystery play because what mystery plays would do is they would try to get at... The what T.S. what uh, T.S. Eliot would call the objective correlative to some bigger truth. Uh, another word for that is just allegory. Right. They would be very allegorical. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, but when you say objective correlative, yes, right. it sounds like you're smart. Mm. <laughs> but um, I loved it when our Savior taught an objective correlative. Yeah, I <laughs> well, and some somebody's going to come and say, "Well, actually, that's not really what he meant." Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever.
0: Yeah. Well, that person can fall down a ditch. Yes. Cool. Yeah,
2: you heard me. <laughs> One star reviewer. Give
0: him um,
1: his T.S. Eliot reference.
0: Yeah, it's fine. So we have allegory. And the they can event. they can be okay if they fall down a ditch. I'm just saying they'll skin their knee or something. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: So you'd have the mystery and the morality plays that would be very allegorical mm-hmm. in nature. There's a lot of influence of these plays in Lear as well, because one thing that people have noted and the kind of the one of the main debates over Lear is whether or not it's a history, whether or not or whether or not it's mythical in nature, mm. this really is probably the predominant debate over Lear. How are we supposed to look at this? I know it's one. Are we supposed, to see, are like we supposed it to see it realistically? Are we supposed to see it mythically? Are we supposed to see it as like the Henry plays? theatered up a bit Mm -hmm. are we supposed to see it as a fairy tale almost because if you look at it it makes sense it does have these fairy tale elements one of the most famous fairy tale element is the rule of three Mm -hmm. and you have the rule of three here you have the three sisters two are bad one is good you see this all over fairy tales oh yeah boy does it kind of turn the fairy tale expectations on their head but still you have it that's kind of the background of the play (laughs) let's talk about the texts Mm -hmm. before we move on because this is kind of it's it's interesting and it lets me we talk about the quartos and the folios. The way that we have Shakespeare's plays today... They're not as pure as I think people would imagine they would be. Mm-hmm. When we think about literature, we think that we must have the preserved original copy. N- there is no Shakespeare play where we actually know what Shakespeare's handwriting even looked like. right? Mm-hmm. And that's the case for Le- uh, Lear as well. What we have is what's called the quarto. And the, quart- the first quarto we have was uh, published in 1607. And for years, people have thought that the quartos were most likely either written down by somebody listening or they were written down by people after the play. And these were the first volumes that we have of Shakespeare. And so they're corrupt, they're unreliable, they're often made up. And this is the nature for most of the most of the Shakespeare plays we have up until 1623. So his two friends, Condal and Hemings, they were fellow playwrights. They were actually actors in his troupe. They would, in 1623, based on manuscripts they would have on... Um, production notes and things like that they would come and they would produce what or publish what was considered the definitive volume of shakespeare's plays and this is called the first folio So you have the quartos, and then you have the folios. And it wouldn't be until about the 1700s. It was 1720s when Alexander Pope, famous critic and poet, would take the quarto and the folio and actually examine them and look at them side by side, and would then combine them together in what he considered to be the best out of of both worlds, basically. Mm -hmm. Was that just based on his taste? It was based on his taste, what he thought Shakespeare must have intended, trying to clean things up. This provided a, a critical precedent in the way that people have approached Shakespeare's plays since then. And there's been a debate do ever since this point, do we try and combine the quarto and the folio? Do we only take the folio? Do we only take the quarto? Which ones do we look to? And so there never really is a pure... Shakespeare text. And in fact, if anybody, I mean, if anybody were ever to find like a a document that was obviously written by Shakespeare, that would, that's what, that's the Holy Grail. That's like the Indiana Jones search Mm -hmm. of Shakespeare scholarship is to try and find his actual manuscript. Now, what's interesting is because this actually fits into our narrative of Shakespeare. He was a craftsman. He wouldn't Mm -hmm. have cared. He didn't think of these things as things that were, these plays as documents that had to be preserved for the ages. They would change. They would probably change based on who he was performing for that night. Was the king going to be there? Was some mm. other noble going to be there? Let's throw in a joke here. Let's th- take out a joke here. It was always changing and adapting. There was never one real perfect King Lear to hand down to posterity, which I is interesting. It. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Mm. And yet today we get this idea that Shakespeare, my favorite phrase here, the golden patina thing, mm-hmm. yeah, has this like protected status. And yet that's, that's absolutely not the case. Mm. It's always changing. And in fact, I guarantee you the Shakespeare's that we're all reading from are different based on the preferences of the it's critic. It's like jazz. Yeah.
1: You have these jazz numbers, and they're meant to be performed live, and they're meant to be improv and riffed on, and they're never the same night after night. And then you have the recording, mm-hmm. and the recording somehow becomes definitive the definitive interpretation of a piece written by Coltrane or by you know whoever, and that's never how it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. They never played it the same every night. They had the beats that they were going to hit, but they're always riffing here yep. and there, depending on the audience, depending on the mood, depending on what they ate that day, whatever. And it was just never meant to be preserved for the ages.
2: It was meant to be performed for people. And that's exactly what a a, a play, that's how it's different than a novel or a short story, which is, and we all see Shakespeare through the lens of literature that we have today, post-publication press, when you could have actual novels that would be set in their form and would never change. But these were things people would be, and even now today with movies and and TV.
1: Always changing and adapting and tweaking. And
2: And so, but I mean, to that point, like in the seventies, you have the golden era of cinema. Like no one would ever think of the Godfather changing. Right. It's just it is what it, it is. It is a movie. It's, it's an artifact. It's this thing that needs to exist exactly as it is. Mm-hmm. So then you get these weird arguments about art as artifacts and people turning them basically using the word artifact as
0: well a, as a, a, example, an example, a nerdy example of someone. You know, George Lucas violated that principle. He decided he was going to keep revising his movies if for as yeah, long everybody as everybody gets under his really angry for it. All the nerds made him pay. Yeah. Yeah. He was dragged out into the street, tarred, feathered, rode out on a rail.
2: But yeah, so, but that's exactly what you would have with Shakespeare is every night it would be a different production, a different play, and he would adapt it based on who he was playing to. And so that gives people freedoms. And so one of the fascinating things with a Shakespeare play that I don't think we've talked about is that they have a history of productions and those productions change based on their um, history, where mm-hmm. they're being played, when they're being played. And so Lear became popular, especially after 1942 with World War II, because people saw nihilism in it. They saw despair. They saw a vision that matched the world of postmodernism. I don't think that's necessarily true. But after that, you do get a lot of people who will produce plays where it's just very bleak. There's a famous 1962 production in London by the Royal um, Theater where it was just an empty stage and they were wearing rags. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um kind of a post apocalyptic vision of what Lear was about. So yeah. And so that's con that's more context for Lear itself. People are always trying to interpret it now with a very political bent. So Explain what you mean. Feminists, new historicists, Marxists get a hold of it, and they try to say that He's what dividing Shakespeare... dividing the kingdom among women. Yeah, what the Shakespeare was actually trying to say was that the old patriarchy was inconsistent and had to collapse, and that anything based on an old system of monarchy would in and of itself eventually implode and collapse. Mm -hmm. Oh, come on. Yeah.
1: He gives up the old system and divides his kingdom among his daughters and it
0: all goes to hell. And then he rants about how their wombs should be barren and (laughs) no issue should come forth.
2: But that gets us up to the movie we watched. And you can even see with that movie. It was a weird movie because are we ready to talk about that? Yeah, sure. We Is watched. That...
0: The, if anybody doesn't know, we watched the the Anthony Hopkins one. It's on Amazon Prime. You can watch. Yeah, it if we you should. You have we should two just hours of your life to waste. Make <laughs> 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 to
1: make Nathan's sentiments perfectly clear. Yeah. I think all of our sentiments it's more or less clear. But people should know that the reason we picked Lear is because it is one of largely considered to be one of his best or most mature tragedies. Yep. And because there was a new Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. Yeah. And who else is in the Oh, the, that's a thing. Emily Lo-
0: Watson and Emily Watson's in it. Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. Andrew Bennett, Scott.
1: Andrew Scott. Uh, it's just there was this we knew going into 2018, back in 2017 when we were doing the schedule, we mm-hmm. knew that there was this star-studded cast.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Lear knew he could divide up his kingdom and it would go well. Look what happened to him. Yeah. It well, ended up in here death, we are. nihilism. And here we
1: are, yeah. And it was supposed to be released, I thought, in the spring. And maybe it was on the BBC, but it just it kept was. being put off and put off
0: and put off until like for us – like, less than a week ago. Yeah, Amazon was probably embarrassed
2: of it. Anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. What were you, do you know what was put in theaters on September 27th? What was that? Ian McKellen's yeah, I saw that performance. And I wish... And it was King Lear. We, that oh, made, really? Yeah. yeah. I bet it would have been better.
1: Yeah, probably. Oh, I would have liked to have seen
2: that.
0: Would have been hard I not to. I saw the
2: previews and he looked pretty fantastic as Lear. Yeah. Well, if they just well, gave more
0: space to pretty it.
1: pretty fantastic. I mean, but yeah. I don't know. We thought the same. But again, I think that's the key to this whole yes. thing.
0: Yes, we, we will talk about it. We'll get to it. Brandon, yeah. what else did you want to
2: say about it? Well, uh, we were getting to it. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, I said
0: we'll get to it. We'll get to it right yeah, now. Yeah, so
2: my point was being that you have all these historicized takes on Lear. Yeah, and then well, we get to this one. And one of the weird things about it was that at first, it seemed like it was going to try to be a part of the Me Too conversation. Mm-hmm. Did you guys pick up on this? Because Lear was being very um, intimate in with his daughters. Very in Incestuous. In yeah, seemed incestuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he kissed her. It's like the...
1: I don't think that the idea that Lear wanted more love than was appropriate from his daughters is new, but Mm -hmm. the idea of it being eroticized eroticized and sexual was something that you know, this one certainly built S- into it.
2: Started building into it and then it didn't do anything with it. It was weird. Yeah. well, Because all that just disappeared with Lear and it just then transferred into the daughters to make them the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it a was very weird. inconsistent, strange take. It was just bad. That's my review of it. Was it just, was bad.
1: You know, Hopkins was part of his descent, his portrayal of Lear's descent into madness was sexual madness with his daughters yeah. and also with who... Was it Kent or Gloucester? Mm-hmm. One of the two.
0: Well, because he didn't have. Oh, wait a second. Is there anything else you want to say about context before we uh, criticize no, this
2: stupid yeah. thing? That that was a t- an intentional segue into this. Okay, okay, yeah. and I'm ruining it. um Well, let me continue ruining it very quickly.
0: Oh no, there goes the baggage plane. Oh, it crashed. I guess we can't talk about baggage. Look, if you want to know about baggage. Jake, just last week, last week's episode, he talked. He gave, gave some really good baggage. Jake loves Shakespeare. Go listen to that. You definitely want to listen to that at our yeah. live show.
1: I Let me say one thing about that. Yes. When I say I love Shakespeare and Shakespeare meant a lot to me and was transformative, I mean <laughs> freshman year Shakespeare. We read Romeo and Juliet. We read Hamlet. We read Julius Caesar and maybe one other play. Like the stereotypical place. That's what mm-hmm. we read, and that's my baggage. And I did pursue Shakespeare beyond that after after that. But that's what I mean. I mean Hamlet. I mean
0: like Shakespeare, Shakespeare, the well, Julius
1: Caesar. The I mean even I mean, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. I mean the greatest hits. But
0: if you say you loved the you love the Beatles, there's a big difference whether you whether what you mean is you love the deep cuts or you love Hey Jude. That's right. And what you mean is Hey Jude. And there's no that's shame right. in that, but it's that's worth it's worth making note of.
1: Yeah, I, that's all. That's the. That's what I'm doing. I'm making note of the fact that when I say I loved Shakespeare and he opened my eyes to some things and changed the way I looked at the world, I mean that I'd never heard a song like Hey Jude before. Right. Yep. That's what I mean. And it's, you
0: know, you
2: discover, hey, Jude, your world changes. You see everything in color. Brennan,
0: anything you want to say about context real quick? Well,
2: mine was similar. I got into Shakespeare through Julius Caesar and Mm -hmm. then uh, Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet, the famous, the the big hits. But then I kept reading and then I loved his histories, especially the Henry cycle. When I finally read Lear and The Tempest, those are the two that have stuck around with me and they're by far – Besides the sonnets, my favorite things with that I can go back to with Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. So those are my top. Shakespeare would be the sonnets, King Lear, and The Tempest.
0: Jake's top Shakespeare?
1: Certain of the sonnets, although I'll admit to not liking quite a bit of the sonnets. Oh yeah, some of the sonnets are awful. Um, and Hamlet and... Yeah, I wasn't really a big uh, Romeo and Juliet fan.
0: I did like that one's so shoved down your throat in high school. It's hard to yeah. That and Julius Caesar, I just feel like it's it's mm-hmm. a little bit. like I liked, 1984. It's a little bit. It's one of those. Where I it's liked just like
1: Julius Caesar when I read it in high school. I like um, Julius
0: Caesar now. I resented it a little bit then. Just
1: well, I didn't. I I didn't. I wasn't working from anything with Julius Caesar. Right. Mm-hmm. I was working with with a little bit with Romeo and Juliet. I liked and. I don't know. I like the political intrigue, and the I thought the Taming of the Shrew was pretty hilarious. I liked quite a bit about A Merchant of Venice. Yuck. Yeah. Well, we can fight about that down the road.
0: I don't even want to. I don't even want to do it. I'll go on record. I do not care for the Merchant of Venice. I it. I find it incredibly off-putting.
1: Well, it's been years since. It's just about
0: I've... Christians being nasty to this Jewish guy, and it's supposed to be funny. It's just like yuck. <laughs> I'm I'm allowed to be liberal PC once. I mean, on the bookening, all the non, you know. Well, I'm just going to say it. I, I'm sure I'm wrong, but it rubs me the wrong way. Well, it's been. And I, mean, I hate the Al Pacino version because it tries to make it into a tragedy and pretend like Shakespeare didn't mean it to be funny. Oh, it's so sad that the way they treated Al Pacino. That's not how Shakespeare meant it. He meant it to be funny and for the Jew to be the villain. So shut up, Al Pacino version. Shut up. Merchant of Venice, and um, I'm not giving my baggage yet, so go ahead. You really like the Merchant of Venice. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, a long People time People can ago. have different opinions about things. Jake's a racist. False. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jake's an anti-semite.
1: All I remember about the Merchant of Venice was that Portia was awesome. And what do you say? Feminist. Hashtag feminist. Hashtag feminism. Yeah. Shakespeare, as we all know, was a proto-feminist.
0: Hashtag cross-dressing. Hashtag anti Semitism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> As we all know, Shakespeare was a proto feminist, anti Semitic, transgender, transgender baiting um, baggage on Lear. I don't, I don't, I feel or assume like I've read most or all of Shakespeare's plays at some point. I don't have any strong memory of reading Lear or any performances, watching any performances of, of Lear before this. I'm. I'm wondering. I. I have half a mind to say that this is my first time with it. Although I feel like I also kind of know the
0: story. Any further baggage from you, Brandon? No. All right. We got to talk about this movie. I didn't even necessarily want to talk about this movie all that much. I have to admit because it just didn't interest me very much. I didn't even finish it. And what's I What's
1: f- funny? Can if you will permit me? No, go ahead. What's funny is that all the way up to watch watching this movie I was like well we could just watch a different version there are lots of great other versions and Nathan's like no I don't want to watch other versions all the other versions are probably stupid this is going to be great this yeah. is Anthony Hopkins we're going to wait for this we're going
0: to wait I was, for wrong. I was wrong. I was <laughs> wrong I I, I I backed the wrong horse boy I'll were you it. wrong what's that yeah boy were you wrong
1: kind of since it's even some, a little bit of scheduling
0: yeah yeah no and I'm you know I'll take responsibility for that I, I was excited about this version I think we all were yes um, that's true yeah. but I don't want to pretend like I wasn't, because um, I was.
2: Very excited.
0: <laughs> well, let's let's talk about... I want to talk about my baggage and talk about... Actually talk about the play a little bit in Shakespeare. But let's get this movie out of the way, because I don't know how much there is to say about it. It's... To me, I will submit to you guys that it feels very truncated. The individual performances are fine. It doesn't feel like there was any strong authorial vision of the... <laughs> yeah. Like, the director didn't really know what to do with the material. No, there's
1: like a there. I thought... Yeah, I agree completely. It's severely truncated. It just feels abbreviated. All of the connective tissue is missing. It is an hour too short, which is, I think, literally the stage production would have been an hour longer.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, I I would assume you're right. And it's missing a lot of grace notes from the play that are really great. That really, yeah,
1: absolutely. And it just doesn't feel like what did you say? Authorial vision. I mm-hmm. think that's it. It's like you have these like great little. Moments or bits where you like this cast is amazing, these actors are amazing, and they're doing. In, in isolation, anything that they may be doing at any given moment might be really great, but it's completely dissonant. It doesn't work It's like together. you're watching it's a trailer like... for
0: a really super extended trailer for what could be an awesome... Like all these yeah. individual moments are fine, but they don't add up to anything because there's no tissue. Yeah. And because you need... If you're going to watch a, somebody descend into madness, the movie just has to simply be long. You have to feel the descent. You have to see the gradations and the and it's, it's, time yeah, pass. Yeah,
1: instead of a descent into madness you just have a schizophrenic weirdo weirdo like there's no descent into madness followed by an enlightenment it's just schizophrenia
0: and i feel like the play we'll talk more about the play specifically after we cover the movie i feel like the play always already teeters on the edge of believability in terms of how the characters kind of zigzag around in their motivations and in their... Ma- like, the play is it already is stretching things. It is very fair. And so, for the movie to then truncate it further and abbreviate it further <clears throat> well, just kind of makes yeah. nonsense of and it. Then
2: you, and then you see that, especially come out with the two bad daughters, mm-hmm. Regan and Goneril, because their motivations are completely bonkers. You don't even understand. Yeah. With the play, they're consistent.
1: Especially, yeah. every, well... Everything with Edmund is just like what? Yeah. With the play it's consistent. all of a sudden Edmund's grabbing, you know, somebody's butt mm-hmm. in in the movie. It's like what?
2: Well, in the play what you see is both of them are disappointed in their husbands. Right. Right. And so Edmund naturally you just You never in. see any of that. Yeah
1: you don't see him slide in or taking advantage of the weakness or disappointment or frustrations they have with their husbands at all. Yeah, You don't see him as being opportunistic or anything. What you see is all of a sudden, he's just like hot stuff and he can just walk up to one of these women and grab their butt. And she's going to like think, ooh, this guy's hot. Yeah. Right.
0: Which I submit to you again, the play is already pushing it in terms of maybe we can argue maybe Brandon will argue against this I don't know but the the play I think is already I think you wanted to say is it historical is it mythic or fairy tale I want to answer it reads better as a fairy tale because
2: I think that's the typical answer yeah
0: yeah, the motivations are so over the top sometimes and kind of you have to accept that these these two women are suddenly both in lust with Edmund and so you're always kind of I don't want to say You're not breaking it. You're not Mm -hmm. breaking, but you are suspending your disbelief a little bit and allowing the play to function as a theatrically to be a little over the top.
2: Why it does work is you get the impression that Regan is the first one to actually lust after Edmund, Mm -hmm. and Goneril does it because partly just because she's jealous, yeah, and Mm -hmm. she wants, and they're both competitive anyways, Mm -hmm. and they're going to eventually fight for the ultimate control of their father's estate. Yeah, because it can't remain separated. They're going to their husbands are going to war with one another. Right. That's that's echoed throughout the entire play, even though it never really happens. Because the King of France invades instead, and they have to join forces. Mm-hmm. But everything's divided. Everything's it in tension, and that just naturally then comes up when the one sister wants Edmund, the other is going to fight her for him as well. So there's yeah. some naturalness to that.
0: Yeah, it, it it tracks. It's just it's just more a little bit faster and more colorful. And more brutal than mm-hmm. real life usually is, I guess. Yeah,
1: in the way that a fairy tale often yeah, yeah, yeah. is. Yeah, I
2: think I'm, pretty I'm not criticizing you know. it, you understand. I'm just no, I understand. trying to describe it. Yeah. No, yeah. it's definitely every most of what happens in this play is heightened and mm-hmm. and you see it in more so even than other Shakespeare or Yeah.
1: Well, that's because the story is so complex. Like it's it's super ambitious. Mm-hmm. You just have to you But
0: know, you take like my favorite Shakespeare play, which is far and away Hamlet.
1: It's a, it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn and it
0: all completely, everyone's motivations make so much sense. And the fact that Hamlet waits the whole play to strike makes sense. And what his uncle's doing actually makes a lot of sense. And you can kind of see everyone's point of view. And it's really, you know. There's well, that's why Hamlet's stuff,
1: lightning in a bottle like Hamlet people don't want to give Hamlet credit for being what it is because it's cliched,
0: you know, to say that Hamlet's
1: like the greatest, everybody wants to find something that's not Hamlet to say that it's the greatest. But the fact is like Hamlet is lightning in a bottle. It's, completely it it completely tracks psychologically it's completely entertaining it's got really funny moments interspersed all throughout this very serious dark tragedy and it's it's like it's always got something for everybody while never losing the plot and while never stretching or pushing you too far
0: and every time you watch it or read it you will be like oh I forgot that that line came from Exactly,
1: yes. That is always what you
0: Lear has those moments too. Lear
1: does, yeah. Yeah. Well, every Shakespeare play has that. But Hamlet's like- Every Shakespeare play is like, oh, I didn't know that it came from, that that line came from this play or was even Shakespeare. Like there's always something like that that you forgot or that you didn't know. Yeah. What's the line- came into this world screaming to be on the stage with these fools or whatever the actual beautiful Shakespeare line is. Or There are always things like that,
0: but Hamlet's like – Hamlet's got more of them, Brandon. More of a what? what? It's got more
2: more lines like that. It's got more of them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hamlet's the most famous for sure. Yeah. And for a reason. For a reason, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we I don't
0: have that, to – let's not talk about Hamlet today. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can't – th- I do think in the end, Lear – it's my favorite. Well let me give my baggage and so that yep. we can actually talk about later. Because we gotta get to Frankenstein next week, I think. Yep. Um so we're just gonna they're gonna make this episode a long episode and we're just gonna we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna maybe we'll all be dead by the end of this. Uh oh. Maybe Brandon's Cordelia, Jake is uh Goneril. And I'm the fool. We don't know what happens we to We don't you. know what happens to me. We know Jake either poisons him, gets poisoned or stabbed, stabs himself. He kills himself. And who did I say you were? Cordelia, oh, so I, I get hung. You get hung,
2: yeah. And we think you get hung too, probably.
0: Yeah, I read about a stage play where Lear accidentally stabs the fool when he's-, yeah. he's it's one mind. of the great mysteries. Nobody knows what happens to the fool. Nobody
1: knows what, what did I watch or see that made me think that the fool committed suicide?
0: I'm
2: sure. Well, how there's did a version he die where he in does this it. movie? I couldn't figure out what was going on. He just died.
1: Yeah, it's like he was like all of a sudden he was sick or something or had a heart attack or I don't even. You know. need to have him at
0: least cough into a handkerchief if you're going to do that, just to be like, oh, yeah, he's sick. It was random and weird.
1: No, he just laid down and died. Like he was fine, and then he got into the ambulance, and suddenly he just laid down and died. And it there was, was no explanation. Choice.
0: Yeah. It was bizarre. I wonder if they had to cut this movie for commercial restraints or like, were they just under some sort of restriction that made them have to make this movie suck?
1: The BBC never does that to... Not typically. Not not to big productions, especially a, a production with a star-studded cast like this. I think it has to be the director's choice. Well, the director's an idiot then. Are we done Agreed. talking about
0: this movie? I don't want yeah. to talk about this movie anymore. Unless you guys have anything interesting to say about it. It's It was just... I don't recommend that anyone watch it. Yeah, I mean, it. can
1: you think of can you think of a company that gives more freedom to just let things be what they need to be than the BBC, especially if you're going to have a star-studded cast? Like,
0: yeah, I, I agree with you. It's just the choices are so baffling to me that I want to say there must be some kind of weird lay, something behind it. Obviously,
1: um, the director couldn't have been this stupid. There must have been a suit somewhere,
0: right? Exactly. It feels like they had they must have had something good on paper at least and then somebody <laughs>
1: did you guys like the 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 random oh, you probably didn't get this far there are these random like i finished it oh, i was saying to nathan he oh, probably yeah. didn't get this far the, the the these random like shots of actual war interspersed yeah. into the oh so it's like relentless. it's like degraded footage of actual war scenes mm. interspersed into this you know a high def it was, it was pretty, so it was cheesy <laughs>
0: You know, I don't know what we're going to do. We have to get, we have three Shakespeare, I'm just going to tell the listener. We have three Shakespeare's that we've, or three Shakespeare's, three Frankenstein episodes that we've already recorded. If we were to do another Lear, one of those Frankensteins would get bumped into the month of... November. November, but if people are okay with that, if our listener, if you think our listeners can wrap our heads around the fact that we'll still be making Halloween puns in the first week of November, it might be worth just because we've this episode's already more than the length of a booking episode. Yeah. And we have a lot more to discuss. I'm fine
1: with that. I'm also fine to just jumping to Frankenstein and jumping back
0: to Lear. That would certainly make our lives easier. We wouldn't have to rush a Lear next week.
2: We could actually watch some more Lear.
0: Oh, that's good. We could let's, watch the Ian McKellen. Yeah, let's do it. All right, listener, you heard it here. You heard this is how the process works. You got to peek behind the curtain. This is just like it probably was at the Globe when Shakespeare and what, Cullings and Hemingway were trying to plan their masterpieces. What do you figure a couple 500 years when they have the folio and quarto of booketing episodes... Yeah. Which one should people listen to, Brandon, do you think? They should listen to the folio. They should listen to the folio. Yeah. You're a folio man. It should be the
2: definitive. The definitive. Yeah, you'll want the ones that... Uh, False. You want them listening to the quarter?
1: No, I want them to say, we can't pin this down. These guys were... Colossal
0: geniuses that love yeah. their audiences so much. And it was always, I want you for to be the in, audience.
2: Yeah, you want to be intrigued. You want to be going to all the sources. I'm sorry. To that's like out.
1: one of my favorite things that you've ever said yeah. about Shakespeare. And it's just going to play into my narrative and my Shakespearean mythos, which right. is, you know, correct. Is, yeah. There you go. Which is correct. And it's also, Shakespeare didn't give a rip about us today. He just didn't care. And we should, he was a colossal genius that every night it was a new play and it was a new expression of genius for the people in front of him. Sometimes it may have fallen a little flat and sometimes it may have been better, but on the whole, it was amazing.
2: I completely agree with that. And just like us. But I'll still read the Just folio. Just like us, yeah.
0: But Brendan still is... He's a folio man. Yeah, I mean... I actually... The re- version I, I usually get... Brendan made our listeners get this stupid yeah. Arden Shakespeare. This I'm, is I'm a sorry. fantastic I'm apologizing book,
1: to... You can say that, but I'm going to apologize to the listeners for it. And
0: I... Am sure that this is like beat up on Brandon Day. I'm sorry, Brandon. But no,
2: this is bring it. Whatever. This is uh, fantastic. You're welcome, listeners. You have a beautiful book that you now have added to your library
0: that you will, unless you're a never open or
1: read, never open or read. I mean, that's. I'm just going to tell it like it is for me. I can't bear to open this volume of King Lear because it's like 500 pages long, mm. and it's like five lines of Shakespeare a page, and lots of notes.
2: It's everything you ever wanted. To footnotes, know. and
1: then you've got to flip around, and, it, and it's, it's got like a thousand pages of introductory matter. I just don't. I, I know it all sounds mine. wonderful to me, Jake. What are you? Talking I know about? it does. <laughs> I, don't, I just want to. I just I want the play. Well, no, no, no.
0: I'm unifying both of your arguments. Okay. You're. The, I'm the quarto. He's the folio. And I'm saying you're. You're Alexander Pope. Peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter, good. Jelly, good. Uh huh. Put them together, and you have. Kind of a crappy sandwich that no one cares about except for school children. Pretty and- lame if you're a school child, actually. What I okay? I, I'm sorry, Jake. Maybe I made it sound like I was I was trying to vehemently agree with you. I think. But oh,
2: well, our supporters will never send you Arden Shakespeare's again. Oh,
0: <sighs> Brandon, don't feel bad. This, we is, can, a fan, this is a great. Volume. We can order Brandon and an Arden Shakespeare every year. Fine. We, we will, will
1: order Brandon. In fact, yell. We'll, to we'll add, get them the yell series.
2: That's a good
0: volume. No, no, you know, no, no, no. I'm no. going to tell you exactly what volume you should. We should get. I think Barnes and Noble's actually does a really nice one where yeah, on agree. the left page it has all the notes and cool little wood. Carvings and pictures, and on the right page, it just has unexpurgated text, and so you can just read it and have a clean experience. But then, anytime you want, you can. your notes are right there. Your their notes are right there. We agree, Jake. Yeah. Against Brandon.
2: Well, whatever.
1: I just Hamlet want lovers. Brandon. I just the, want simple. It's all about the formatting. This book... It's about formatting. It's about size. It's about readability. It's about feeling like I have Shakespeare in front of me, but I also have access...
0: A low grain picture of a tree on the front. Everything about this... I mean, seriously, I'm not even joking. Everything about this book is designed to make you not want to read...
2: I read it all and I was just fine with it.
1: Well, Brandon, that's why we pay you the big bucks, man.
0: Mm-hmm. We pay you to read
1: every every jot and tittle of the Arden Shakespeare. Every jot. To and process tittle. it and to internalize it and to interpret it for us. But I, sir, am not the scholar
0: who's a baller of reading and I... You are the pastor who's a master of reading, to be fair.
1: Yes, which means that I am first the pastor and not the scholar who's got a thousand other things to be doing than reading five hundred pages of notes about King Lear.
0: And I'm just a humble and obedient host. Yeah. I can barely Read. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they should just order that, that. hat comes back thinks, for me, yeah. Brandon. It was a noble effort, and you failed. Okay. And some people still love you, Jake um, and I. Jake and I are not among them. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry. Well, as long
0: as I still get my Arden Shakespeare, I don't care. Yeah, no, you can have your <laughs> Arden Shakespeare
1: every time. If Al- Alex, if you're listening, you are yourself. A Brandon dowery, gets Brandon. Brandon no matter what you get, the listeners, the supporters, Brandon gets a copy of Arden. Yeah. Thou art most Uh, rich being poor,
0: most choice forsaken, and most love despised, Brandon. Thee and thy virtues here I seize upon. Be it lawful, I take up what's cast away. It's strange that from the coldest neglect of Nathan and Jake, my love should kindle to inflamed respect. Oh, wow. I'm not running away to France with you. We don't want to forget about donor shout outs, do we, boys? No way. No. All right. So you guys can take turns uh, uh, giving them a Shakespearean sounding shout out. There we go. All right. Well, let's call out the Magnificent Mason.
2: The Magnificent Mason. Reagan, I think you are. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's call out the immortal Chelsea E.
1: Hanna, again. I'm looking up a list of best Shakespeare quotes. The immortal Chelsea (laughs) empty. Uh oh. (laughs) The immortal Chelsea E is empty, and all
0: the devils are here. Oh Um, no, boy. Uh, Nathan, not me. Nathan, not me. Where have you hid yourself, (laughs) Uh, Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley?
1: All that glitters is not Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley.
2: The Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Okay, I guess I got to stick to this. Um, Lily of the Valley, our foster nurse of nature is repose. The which he lacks that to provoke in him are many simples operative whose power will close the eye of anguish. Well, there you go. <laughs>
0: Finer words have never been spoken. Andrew and what Esther, the lovebirds, little baby Timothy.
1: Love, Andrew. Trust, Esther. Do wrong to little baby Timothy.
0: Oh, that's too bad.
2: The inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. They kill us for their sport.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I want to end on this. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to do Robert and Rhonda. Robert and Rhonda thus avoid another recognition scene that might have undermined that between Lear and Cordelia and provides a suggestive verbal image that anticipates the death of Lear.
2: Well, you got to know where the Shakespeare starts, Nathan. (laughs) Well,
0: it's impossible in this book, Brandon. There's so much. (laughs) Points taken. (laughs) I mean, look at how far I opened it up. (laughs)
2: No man, that's the introduction. Doesn't
0: even stop until it paid one hundred and fifty. <laughs> I am. I, I enjoyed the notes. This this is Brandon. To be fair, this book has. This is this. Everything in this book is great. It's well done. It's just the format. It just needed to format no it. It was
2: formatted by a whole bunch of stupid scholars.
0: Yeah, a whole bunch of stupid scholars. <laughs> All right, John and Jill and little baby Max. If music be the food of
1: John and Jill and little baby Max, play on
2: the Keith Master. The Keith Master. It is the cowish terror of his spirit that dares not undertake.
0: And I will do David's Mighty Men Trucking. Uh, let's see here. David's Mighty Men Trucking is further complicated by Albany's apparent withdrawals from power, first in favor of Lear, and then after Lear dies in favor of uh, Edgar and Kent, though he may be inviting them to share the rule. My beloved Mother Beth. Is it my turn? Sure.
1: To my beloved Mother Beth. Be true, and it must follow as the night, the day. Thou canst not be false to any man.
0: And Maya. Maya. Ah! marketing uncle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do Rockin' Ryan and Jammin' Judy. Rockin' Ryan and Jammin' Judith. May have got the idea of suicide from Spencer's *Fairy Queen*. Hey, <laughs>
2: yay! Don't do it! <laughs> don't do
0: it!
1: Uh, Danny the dude, Danny the dude, doth protest too much, methinks.
0: Yes, he does. Uh, you you
2: got to. Your finger needs to hover up higher, <laughs> and don't go too far into the book.
0: I will flip it open and point to something when it's next my turn. It's DJ Sammy G. Oh, boy.
2: <laughs> Dearer than eyesight, space and liberty beyond what can be valued, rich or rare, no less than life with grace, health, beauty, honor, as much a child e'er loved or father found, a love that makes breath poor and speech unable beyond all manner of so much.
0: I love you. Wow, that is mm-hmm. there you go.
2: DJ Sammy G.
0: All right. I'm going to do our good friends, our good friends who we've met in the flesh, Jay and katie who are cold and love cheese make this good nathan jay and katie who are cold and love cheese are shortened by the abbreviation of the quarrel between abby and goneril and the removal of albany's moral generalizations the effect is to speed the action
2: (laughs) hey you're just making a point out of all this now nathan thank (laughs) you very much
0: (laughs) i wouldn't do that to you brandon Uh. (laughs) benny t and dana t and they probably got, I think they've got kids, right? Be
1: not afraid of Benny and denity. Some are born <laughs> Benny and denity, Some achieve Benny and Dennity. And some have Benny and denity thrust upon them.
0: Br- uh, Eric and Catherine, love birds, the lovebirds, Little Baby X.
2: Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, and Little Baby X. <laughs> I don't know if I can read that. <laughs> Let me wipe it first. It smells of mortality. <laughs> <laughs> his hand, his hand. <laughs>
0: Um, let's see here sorry so that leaves for me professor x and lady x oh they'll love one of your notes um professor x professor x because i would not see thy cruel nails pluck out his poor old eyes good advice <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening everybody <laughs> hey thanks for listening folks my name is nathan i did things to make this podcast happen and brandon's over there he did some things to make it happen jake's over there he also did some things to make it happen me are and jake are the executive producers of everything that you like not just warhorn products by the way literally everything that you like me and jake are responsible for pizza, pizza